Here's a question. Do you believe that Jesus will return? That just as he was taken up in the clouds in front of his disciples, that likewise one day he will return in all his glory, that he will come back and to right all wrongs, to reign and rule. Do you believe that Jesus will come again? That's the correct answer, by the way. Because the Bible is clear that Jesus will return and somehow we will be part of that. Pretty exciting, really, isn't it? Now, with all the Bible passages that talk about the second coming, what do you think the biggest mistake Christians make about end times? You know, when people read the Bible and they come across Revelation or uh, the passage in the Gospel. Sorry? Yeah, that's one of the biggest mistakes, isn't it? Trying to guess when. Is that the biggest mistake? It's certainly one of them. Uh, is it um, trying to get it all in order? You know, what comes what and what comes when? Is it being on the right side of the pre or the post-millennial rapture debate? I'll be impressed if you know what that is. If you're really interested, you can ask me about that later. Is it try, is the biggest mistake trying to identify the various character? Like, is our biggest mistake spending time working out who the beast is or the two martyrs? the two witnesses that are martyred, or the four horses of the apocalypse, or the seven bowls of wrath. Is that the biggest mistake? Where do you think we get it wrong most? Well, before we answer that question, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into 1 Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we come humbly, knowing that there is a great treasure before us, and we ask that your Holy Spirit will make that treasure, your word, come alive to us. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we move through 1 Peter, we come to a section which explores five vital signs of a church. Now, we're familiar with vital signs, aren't we? If I said, what's one of the vital signs, what might you say? Does anyone want to tell me what one of the vital signs for our medical health is, that is? Breathing and heartbreak. Well, there's a couple anyway. Let's have a look. You know all this, isn't it? So... The vital signs, medical vital signs for our physical health are blood pressure, our breathing or respiratory rate, heart rate or pulse, and temperature. Those are the four vital signs that indicate good health. Where do you fall in certain ranges? And those ranges, for those that are interested, at rest, our blood pressure should be 120 over 80. Remember those days. At rest, when we have good health, it's 12 to 20 beats per minute. At rest, our pulse is 60 to 100 beats per minute. And no matter what we're doing, our temperature pretty much be 37 degrees. We haven't got a lot of leeway there. And, of course, if any one of those vital signs is missing, what do we know about the person's health? <laughs> They're dead. <laughs> That's how unwell they are. If any of those read zero or room temperature, then someone is dead. And that's why they're called vital signs because they are vital for life and it's it's similar with these five signs these five vital signs that peter's about to give us for the health of the church if any church has these within certain parameters then they're a healthy church if any church has one of these signs missing then they are dead which makes the stakes quite high for us because as a church st andrews mount monganui we do not want to be a dead church. So let's dive into our passage and see what the five signs of a healthy church are. And we're starting off where we picked up last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. But let's focus on the word therefore. Now, you might remember a couple of weeks ago when we came to introduce chapter 4, there was a therefore at the beginning of the chapter. And I mentioned when in the Bible, whenever there's a therefore, we can't understand what comes after the therefore unless we go back and look at what was being said. So we cannot understand the five vital signs until we look what is before the therefore, which is the end of all things is near. So what Peter is saying is Jesus is coming again. It is at hand. Therefore, pay attention to what I'm about to say. And you know, this is the right use of the second coming of Jesus. This is the right use of end time consideration. Remember I said earlier that many Bible readers misuse these Bible passages that talk about end times. Peter demonstrates clearly that the correct use for end time passages is motivation and not speculation. The whole point of God having end time passages in the Bible is to motivate us, to spur us on to be better daughters and sons of the living God so that when Jesus comes, we won't be found wanting. Now many Christians forget this, they get caught up in the speculation and they forget the motivation. They get bogged down in speculation. They spend hours studying, debating, even arguing about uh, when Jesus will come. But they don't let this motivate them to be better Christians. They get bogged down in speculation and argument and debates. But that's not why God put the end time passages in the Bible. Peter's use of the word therefore reminds us that when we consider end time matters, they are to motivate us to be closer to the living God and we should never be bogged down in speculation. And so, with Jesus about to come, we are more motivated as a church to put these five signs in practice. What's the first sign then? Well, the first sign, I'll read it out again. It's up there on the screen. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And this is the first vital sign of a church. A healthy church is a praying church. Now, last week, I used this verse and spent the whole sermon talking about prayer. So I don't want to go over that ground again. If you missed the sermon, it's online, or if you're interested, you can, you can listen or watch it again. But a healthy church, this is the first sign of a, health, um, of a healthy church, is that they are a praying church. Let's move on to the second sign of a healthful, healthy church, a vital sign. And the vital sign, the next one, is love. Verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now let's note that Peter expects love to be already operating in the churches that he's writing to. He cannot imagine a church which does not have love as foundational. What he's writing here is to help the church folk, to help the Christians keep their focus 
on love. Well, Peter knows that love can grow cold. Peter knows that people can drift away from love. He knows that love can lose its focus. So Peter is calling us here to pause, reset, and to love each other, but to love each other deeply. Don't take this key vital sign of a local church for granted. And he's already told us this early on. In fact, in chapter 1, early on, he said exactly this. In verse 22 of chapter 1, he says this. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers and sisters, love one another deeply and from the heart. So Peter, he started his letter by saying, love one another deeply from the heart. And as he's getting almost to the close of the letter, he reminds those folk that they must love each other deeply from the heart. Now in this verse in 22, Peter's saying that because you believe in Jesus, automatically you enter into a brother and sister relationship with other Christians. You already love your brothers and sisters. He's saying, don't take this for granted. Be intentional love one another deeply. Now, some may argue that love is an emotion and that it is false to stir up, stir up uh, emotions that are there towards someone else. But that's now how love works in the Bible. Love does involve emotion. The Bible's very clear. But love is more than emotion. You see, the Greek word used here is agape or agape. And when we looked at um, verse 22 a month or two ago, we explored that in detail. But a reminder that agape love is a commitment to love someone despite how you feel and despite what that other person does. It's agape love. I will love that person no matter how I feel and no matter what that person does. That is God's love for us. And that is the love that God expects us to extend to each other. Now, because the word love can be fuzzy, because the word love can mean different things in different contexts and different things to different people even, it's wonderful to have that, in the, uh, that definition, that description of love that Arda read out earlier. And I'll just focus on that paragraph that lists some of the things that love is. So this is from 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, though this passage is commonly read at weddings, which is great, Paul wrote this because the church in Corinth was dysfunctional. It was an unhealthy church. The Corinth church had like a spiritual autoimmune disease. You know, a disease where the body starts attacking itself? Well, that's what was happening in Corinth through division and falling into parties and, you know, this party against this party and arguing against each other. So Paul pens this chapter on love to help an unhealthy church become 
healthy. When you read these verses, you come to understand that any church that does not have this vital sign of love is a dead church. Now back to our passage in 1 Peter. Did you notice that Peter gave a very interesting reason why we should love one another? Let's have a look at that again. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. What is he on about when he says that love will cover a multitude of sins? Well, it does not mean that love will sweep sin under the table or under the carpet. It does not mean that love avoids the difficulty of confronting bad behaviour. It does not mean that love won't set up healthy self-boundaries. What it means is that love is ready to forgive and forgive again. So when bad behaviour pops up in the church, and it does happen in every church from time to time, bad behaviour, we do not ignore bad behaviour, nor do we avoid the difficult conversation if we need to have it. But it does mean that when bad behaviour does pop its head up in the church, we are determined to work for health of the church, the good of the people involved, and to do that with an attitude of forgiveness, where we may have to set our boundaries, but forgive and forgive. How many times do you think we should forgive? Three times? Seventy times seven. Ah, you know your scripture well. Not Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me, Jesus? And three times, thinking he was being very clever. And Jesus said, seventy times seven. And so a healthy church is a church where people love each other and where that love covers over a multitude of sins. None of us is perfect, least of all the preacher, and so we need to extend love to each other. So that's the second sign. We've looked at prayer and love, and the next vital sign is something that you may not have picked up on as a vital sign for a church, but here it is. It's hospitality. Verse 9, short and sweet. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is love in action. You might say, well, what does love look like? Well, one of the things that love looks like is being hospitable. It's, we're talking about fellowship within a church. We're talking about welcoming each other, both in the church physically and in our homes. Now, this call for church folk to open their homes for hospitality, has an historical context. In the New Testament day, churches didn't own buildings, but they met in homes. So if we were a church, you know, 2,000 years ago, then we wouldn't be meeting in a lovely building like this. We'd be meeting in someone's home. Usually it was one of the more wealthy members of the church. Now in those days, in New Testament days, Roman villas had a sort of relatively similar design and wealthy folk would have a Roman villa and there would be a walled courtyard as part of that complex uh, and that would be a perfect place for a church to meet on Sundays and worship the living God now here we go this would put a wee bit of pressure on the church owner imagine if I said we're not having church here next week we're going to have it at your place Barry <laughs> Barry's telling us it's very small but you know what I mean Imagine instead of Barry, I said your name. And then next Sunday, we all turned up. We should try it. Maybe not, maybe not. But you can see why Paul said, you know, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
because it did put um, certain people within the church quite a bit of pressure to host church every Sunday. Now, with our modern congregations, as I said, we have generally have fit-for-purpose buildings, and St Andrews is a lovely complex, so we don't have the pressure of having to turn up to someone's home on a Sunday to worship. Uh, and it's lovely to see that fellowship and welcome extended You know, after the service when uh, many folks stay for morning tea to catch up, and it's lovely where we build relationships with each other, fellowship welcoming each other and of course the 1030 service as well before the church our catering team do an amazing job of welcoming uh, people hospitality especially with funerals and and other events as well so that's another way the church extends hospitality beverly and kim do an amazing job offering hospitality to the people who use our facilities during the week the bay conservation alliance are a wonderful group where they take in about 11 or 12 normally young adults, and then for three months they, they provide a program for them to do with conservation. Uh, then they have a month off where they interview the next crew and then they start, and they're going to start on Monday. And Beverly has prepared this wonderful welcome basket for them that is full of all sorts of goodies that vary from fruit to chocolate. And that's one way, a simple way, that we can offer hospitality to folk who use our facilities. Homes also, there's a sense where uh, we can invite people into our homes and home groups are ideal for this, aren't they? You know, where people gather a person's home with a focus on on Jesus, really, on Bible study, prayer and fellowship. There's also an encouragement here for us as individuals to invite people into our homes. Yeah, so it might be after church come around for a cup of tea or coffee or something or, or, or lunch, something like that. So there's an encouragement to extend hospitality. So a healthy church is a, a welcoming, hospitable church. That's the third vital sign of a healthy church. Let's move to the fourth vital sign, from prayer to love to hospitality to service. And we see this in verse 10. Each one should use whatever gift he or she has received to serve others, faithfully administrating God's grace in its various forms. Now here's the thing, and this is a key principle in the New Testament. Everyone in the kingdom of God has been given at least one spiritual gift. Oh, I think I think everyone's been given more than one. I don't know where there's a scripture verse for that, but I think we've all been given spiritual gifts. Everyone in the body of Christ has been given gifts to build the body up. Now we may not have a ton of gifts and we may not have the gifts that we really wanted. <laughs> if we had a choice, we might choose another gift. But God in his wisdom has given us all gifts. Now these gifts are not to be kept to ourselves. They're not to be shown off with bragging rights. They're not for self-advancement. No, Peter here reminds us that the gift that we are received the gifts we have received are by God's grace. His undeserved kindness, by his Holy Spirit, he has distributed gifts in various forms, and that's the phrase that's used there, various forms, which reminds us that the gifts are many and varied, and it's futile to compare our gifts with the person next to us. Everyone has a different combination of gifts. Now, the New Testament has three lists, three major lists of gifts. But not here. Peter, instead of listing the gifts, just uses two broad categories in which all of the gifts fall under. So let's have a look at these 
two broad categories. And we see this in verse 11. If anyone speaks, he or she should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he or she should do it with the strength God provides. So do you see the two categories that um, Peter is talking about when it comes to gift? On the one side, we have the speaking gifts, and on the other side, we have the doing gifts. Now, there's a lot of crossover and, and encouragement. The gift of encouragement is one of those where you can encourage someone with your words, but you can always encourage them also with a thoughtful act of kindness. But broadly speaking, we have gifts that fall largely into speaking and others doing so we'll grab one of those lists, Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and we'll have a look at some individual gifts that every healthy church has. And so the first one is prophesying. And without spending 10 minutes explaining this, let's just take this as speaking the words of God. Okay. So a church should have within it folk that are speaking the words of God. The next list in that list is serving. The next is teaching. The next is encouraging. The next is giving financially. The next gift is leadership and governance. The last one, the last gift in the Romans list is acts of kindness. Now this is not an exhaustive list. If you have time, you can grab the three lists and put them together. There's a lot of crossover and you would find the lists of gifts that are mentioned. And now being a speaker or a doer, is not a simple either-or. Even those who are mainly doers will have opportunities to share their faith verbally, encourage a friend, or pray in public. So even if you are a server, a doer, there are opportunities for you to honour God with speaking. And if you're mainly a speaker, there will be opportunities to put chairs away after church, to mow a sick neighbour's lawn when they're unwell, and opportunities to contribute to special missionary appeals so in that list you should see yourself there somewhere probably more than once and again if we had the time we'd get all three lists together and then we could work that through now there are some limitations when it comes to our circumstances due to our health and age and other things we may not be able to exercise our gifts as we used to however God still calls us to do the best we can in our context for his glory. Though we may retire from the workforce, we never retire from the body of Christ. And a healthy church is a church where everyone exercises their gifts. So that's four out of the five signs. So it's, uh, <clears throat> it's prayer, it's loving each other, it's hospitality and it's serving. And this leads us to the last sign. And this is the most important sign vital sign of a healthy church all of the other vital signs are sort of pointing to this last one and it's praise we see this in verse 11 so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ to him be the glory and the power forever and ever he's saying here are the here are four vital signs and all these vital signs have been given to you so that in all things God may be praised. And so, the fifth sign of a vital church is a church is a body of believers who live to worship 
and honour their Heavenly Father. And in the bigger and grander scheme, when we worship on a Sunday morning, we are joining with all Christians all over the world that on the Lord's Day spend time worshipping the living God. And in the grander scheme of things, we worship and join with all those in the heavenly places as well. And so I want to finish from with a, with a reading from Revelation. I want us to join with the, the angels and the heavenly beings to worship Jesus in the heavenly places. And so let me read to you Revelations chapter 5 from verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them, that's us, that you have made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God. And we will reign on the earth. And then we come to verse uh, 11. And the Apostle John, he's writing this. And he says, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And uh, I could go on. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. And that's the right use of the book of Revelation in end times, isn't it? It motivates us to worship God more. It motivates us to pray, to love, to be hospitable and welcome and to serve. But most of all, when we spend time reading the end times material, then our hearts overflow in praise and worship to the living God. Yes, we as a church, we love to pray, we love to love each other, to offer hospitality and serve, but most of all, we love to worship Jesus as our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the five vital signs. And though, Lord, without a doubt, we can do better in all five, I thank you, Lord, that they are here at St Andrews and that by your grace we are not a dead church. By your grace, your spirit is moving amongst us. And so we pray that individually and as a congregation, Lord, we'll get better at praying, at loving, being hospitable, at serving and building up the body of Christ. But most of all, Lord, we'll get better at worshipping you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.